You know what I want to see? I want to see them shake hands at the end of every yeah. game, too. So what about a jersey Get in the line yeah. and shake hands like Champagne. gentlemen. What about a jersey swap, though? Is that, is, that, is that a step too far? Mm, no, no, no. They should not be friends. But shaking when you're hands on, doesn't make you friends. No, it's a way of saying, good game, I respect you, I still What if I don't you. respect you? Well, then you, you you shake hands anyways. You what, tough it up. You what, be a man. Maybe what if you're you swallow as a, as being an adult? Part of a part of being adult is swallowing your feelings yeah. and doing things yeah. that you're not comfortable stuff doing. Stuff it down. I don't. I do things I don't want to do all the time. Yeah. He swallows things. <laughs> if the person who's signing my checks tells me uh, tells me I have to touch a stranger, then I'm going to touch a stranger. That's yeah. what it is. That's maybe, what we tell. Maybe you, well, that's maybe what don't do people. the good game thing though. What if you had a good game? Tap yeah, on the butt. Look, but can I ask you a question here, Luke? But since you want to be Mr. Good Game, respectful guy. So, say you're on a team and you just lost by 55. Yeah. Would you feel some type of way if they gave up you and said good game? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that it should, I'd feel like that person's a very gracious winner. I'd want to shake their hand, I, I, I'd want to shake my fist in their general direction. I, I, I would not want any part of your good game. Angry. I would, if it angry was 2K, man. I would have unplugged the controller. I mean, if it was 2K, I would have resetted the game prior, no. long before <laughs> that would have gotten to that point. <laughs> I, that final buzzer would have rang. <laughs> so, based on oh, my... power uh, outage. I hope you're ready, because once this train is moving, you can't stop it, unless you hit pause, or your listening device crashes. You're about to start listening to the Fool Court Press Podcast. That's F-O-O-L, Fool. We don't mess up your name, so say ours right. A terrible name, and I'm glad they're dead. Sandoria McConnell. Holmes Court Press. Jamarcus Russell Wilson. You are going to hear the hard-hitting, well-researched basketball analysis. Kawhi Leonard has a size 14 shoe, so. Uh, and somebody else I can't remember. is from four strangers with no chemistry. It was me! I am the host, Lufa, who prides himself on precise NBA opinion. Yeah, it's just <laughs> Big Shire. It's the land of Luke Canards. Well, you know how, like, the Florida Panthers are, like, in Sunrise, Florida? It's, like, not, like, a real place. I am joined by NBA draft specialist and Tuchel apologist, Baldy. All of Florida's just made up. As well as Sandoria. Yeah, a real dick that guy is. Whose consistent fire takes. So, like, Luca, I think he's a real piece of shit. Luca's the owner of the Suns. I think he'd be a better owner. We'll scorch every part of your franchise. Trade <laughs> this motherfucker. Sarver's a real piece of shit. What a stupid name. Well, we got a lake up there. We're the Lakers. Still a better name than the Thunder. A real dick that guy is. I hate you. Finally, we have our Australian basketball enthusiast, Duke. Brooklyn Nets have three players who were born in Australia. So pay attention. This may be free, but it's important. What does it mean? Jesus fucking Christ, just shoot me. Everything will be fine. Thank you so much for joining the Fool Court Press podcast again. Uh, it's the only podcast made by Fools for Fools. Um, I'm your host, Lufa, and I'm joined today by Duke and Sandy. Uh, you'll notice again that Baldi ha- cannot make it. Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, everybody say hi. Hey, what's going on, dudes? I think uh, Duke is uh, away from com- uh, computer right now, so we'll uh, move on forward. 
Uh, so, uh, first topic of the day is uh, Topics de Jante. Uh, we're going to talk about the rise of the magic, the decline of the Raptors and the Warriors, uh, sophomore slumps and surges for for uh, your Giddies, Scotty, Mobley, Green, Cade, and Franz, and uh, why do the refs hate Jaw? So, uh, Sandy, why don't you uh, tell us what you want to talk about first? Let's talk about the rise of the magic. The rise of the magic. Any insightful thoughts on the on how? Uh, your favorite a uh, favorite player of all time, Markel Fultz, has uh, has become a, an MVP candidate. Can we, can we talk about how since he's rejoined the lineup, uh, that team is in fuego? Yeah, no, they're the they've they started off by sweeping the Raptors, and they went on to Celtics. sweep the sweep the Celtics, which is I, th- I think arguably a little bit more impor- impressive. Now Tatum wasn't in on the Sunday game, um, but. Still, he was there for the Friday game, and it's not like the Celtics are the number one team in the league uh, just because of one player. So it's definitely an impressive feat. And, uh, yeah, what they needed was a, a true facilitator of an offense. Now, Marco Fultz's uh, offensive game uh, is still pretty limited. His three-point shot is not uh, not uh, not ideal, but his mid-range game is... Uh, Seems it seems to be taking off, and uh, his playmaking and ability just to organize the offense in a general uh, general way has been great. And then obviously, it seems like uh, Franz Wagner uh, has uh, has really taken another uh, another important step, is po- possibly putting himself into an All Star conversation. What do you think, Duke? I think both the Wagners are uh, playing really well right now. Uh, surprisingly, uh, the the older one, Big Mo. Mo. Hey man, if he keeps us up. You know what he's gonna earn? Mo, Mo money. money. Oh, I thought it was gonna be Mo minutes. Mo minutes. Mo money. And no Mo Bamba. No Mo Bamba. <laughs> I mean, Bamba's not been terrible either, to be honest. No, no he's been getting run too. And obviously, like obviously, the big change in their roster from last season to this season was the ad- it was the addition of uh, Bull Bull. Uh, only significant difference between last season and this season. Yeah, just <laughs> not, uh, just not, not anything else. No. Yeah, nothing no else. Signing, no signing, no draft picks, no mm. injured off no. point guards who returned. Nothing at all. Just <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, you know, uh, but realistically. Uh, Paulo Bancaro also the the uh, the upswing coincides with him coming back from that ankle injury. And it seems like he is a uh, player that is going to be able to dominate on three levels of offense, uh, both in the paint, mid range, and three point shooting. And the other thing is, is like he's able to get to the foul line a lot for a rookie. It's unusual for him to be so dynamic. And you know, when you have a player like that, you have a bailout option. It really improves your overall offensive efficiency and the flow of the game. It, it helps kill any opportunities of teams going on runs and such. Um, so he's he's definitely uh, he's definitely the shot in the arm that I think this roster definitely needed. And it's hard to argue uh, with the pick they made. Uh, looking back on that draft, a lot of people thought Jabari Smith was who the uh, <coughs> should have gone with. He was ranked number one overall as the pr- uh, primary prospect. I believe Bancaro was three at the time, and when he came, and when the when the Magic 
uh, were rumored to be uh, favoring him. A lot of people thought that it was just another mis uh, another miss on the draft uh, draft boards uh, for the Magic, but they uh, they stuck with their guns, and they, it seems like they clearly picked the best prospect in the draft. And I'll tell you what, it feels like the front office of Orlando has found the Magic touch. <laughs> oh my goodness. There's nothing, uh, nothing more obvious than your setups for a pun. <laughs> uh, oh man, five days is not long enough <laughs> in between these episodes. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I need, I need those extra two days to recover. Um, yeah. So yeah. So yeah, uh, leading out of uh, what's uh, what's going on and that's good in the East. Why don't we uh, circle over to what's going wrong with uh, with uh, what we thought was going to be a, a home court team in the East in the uh, Toronto Raptors? Uh, Sandy, you have any insights on that team? Uh, that team is apparently a flaming new <coughs> fire of a disaster. Uh, what the hell, man? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, one of the things that's uh, been very interesting is seeing them take double-digit leads out of the uh, first quarter and uh, end with uh, ended double-digit failures at the end of the fourth. Right, of um, Yeah. I mean, realistically, uh, the problems with the Raptors have been compounded. Like, obviously, they, they've always had an issue, or they've always had an issue with the half-court offense. Um, and being able to properly organize without Gary Trent Jr. Um, Gary Trent Jr. has been inefficient when he was in the lineup with him being out of the lineup and injured. Um, that shooting has really been missing in the in the Raptors lineup. But on top of that, players shooting has been significantly worse than it has ever been. Um, you know, I think when they lost to the, uh, the Magic on the second game, it was 39% shooting overall. Um, they've been often in the low single digits and three-point attempts made um, throughout this uh, throughout this downturn. Um, and while Fred Van Fleet has had a turnaround in the last two games, he's been a major catalyst for a lot of the failures that's been happening. Scotty Barnes is, uh, is seeming disengaged. Siakam's missing shots that he hadn't been missing before. And, uh, yeah, you know, um, there seems to be a lot of a lack of creativity on the coaching side as well. Not a lot of differences in rotation changes or anything like that. Now, about two games ago when OG Ananobi and, uh, and um, Gary Trent Jr. both went out, uh, they did add uh, Malachi Flynn to the rotation, and that seems to have sparked a little bit more offense, and we've seen a little bit more offensive creativity. be interesting to see where that goes, um, but overall, the and then the worst part is, is the, because... The uh, the raptor uh, the raptors aren't engaged on defense as well, which is where they generate most of their offense. It's just been a mess. They obviously don't like. Uh, they're all uh, they're obviously in a big funk, and the question is is whether or not they're going to blow it up. <coughs> well, will they? Do you think? I don't think so. I think that uh, I think the raptors are as an organization. Uh, they're conscientious of the fact that people or teams or players, sorry, uh, they they still are wary about living full time in Toronto, and they want to maintain relationships with players that are willing to do that. 
Um, obviously, one of the main storylines of the Raptors championship was trading realistically the only player that ever signed his third contract with the Raptors in franchise history, and that was DeMar DeRozan. Uh, and they traded him for a guy who stayed around for one year. Now, they ended up winning a championship, and everybody is uh, everybody reviewing that trade now would say that was worth it. But when you have somebody like Fred Van Fleet, when you have somebody uh, like uh, Pascal Siakam, who have not only shown uh, loyalty to the franchise, um, but have also shown that they can be all-stars, I don't think that the front office takes the, that kind of thing lightly. That said, if I was in their position, the Raptors have two players in their, in their current core. Um, I would consider their current core being Precious Boucher, Scotty, um, uh, Scotty, OG, <coughs> Pascal, and Fred Van Fleet. In that current core, they have two players that are up for renewals, um, <coughs> both Fred Van Fleet and uh, Gary Trent Jr. Gary Trent Jr. is going to be probably commanding a uh, Jordan Poole-like contract, um, so probably about $30 million a year. And uh, Fred Van Fleet's going to be con uh, commanding a near-max contract. Um, and the question is, 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 particularly with Fred Van Fleet, with the injuries that he has, the fact that he's a bit older, I think he's at 28 years old, um, giving him a four- or five-year contract uh, at max uh, really limits the ability to develop this team further. And I think if you're asking yourself, do we maybe risk missing the, uh, missing the playoffs or staying in a play-in position, um, but maybe <coughs> adding some younger pieces that we could build around, uh, would that be more beneficial? And for me personally, I think that would be the way to go, but I'm not making those types of decisions. Hmm. I mean, what what does the Van Fleet, his, his contract is up this year, right? Yeah, he's twenty-one million right now. He's, uh, I believe, he has a player max. option. No, uh, yeah, he has a player option, but he's going to decline it because, uh, yeah. like, he's he can definitely if he doesn't get it from Toronto, he'll get it on the free uh, the open market, uh, probably around around the forty million mark a season for at least four uh, at least three seasons. Probably close. He's going to be asking from the Raptors at least five. Well, have fun with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, what what does he? I mean, he's he's not looked good this season. Uh, I mean, he's looked pretty pretty bad <laughs> at times. Um, at times, right. and then at times, I, I, like uh, the thing is, is like there's obviously the season's young. Yes. There's two halves to it. There was before he got sick and after he got sick. Before he got sick, he was leading the league in deflection, deflections. He was number two in the league in steals. He is one of the best on on ball defenders in the guard position in the league. Um, and it, like it's and that's uh, that's always been there. His shot has been missing for most of the uh, most of the season, but it has picked up in the last few games, and you can see that like he's able to uh, do that. Where like where's the biggest problem with Fred VanVleet is is that he's our primary ball handler in the Raptors organization, but he is not a good playmaker. His vision on the floor, his vision in the offensive floor, uh, end of the floor. He doesn't organize the offense in the way that is pr uh, is um, necessarily efficient. Um, and you know, he it, like in that sense, we could always upgrade, which is why the Raptors have been trying to transition that role to Scotty Barnes more. But obviously, Scotty is 
been going through a little bit of a slump, probably uh, probably brought on by that kind of uh, that new role adjustment. But realistically, like if you look at the Raptors, they don't have good pa- like they don't have consistent passing numbers. Their assist numbers are normally lowest in the league. Um, their half court offense is atrocious. Um, it's not only the worst o- half court offense in the league; it's like the worst by like f- three or four points. Um, and yeah, and a lot of that's due to the fact that they don't have an effective um, floor general or operating the uh, uh, operating the offense. So if the Raptors could put themselves in a position where Fred VanVleet's working off ball in the offensive end and then playing more uh, playing more defending of the primary ball handlers on the defensive end that might be a beneficial but like realistically and that said you know uh it Fred, Fred Van Fleet appears to be kind of uh, like pushing through his slump and you know come all-star break it might be a different conversation that we'd be having about how, what his season looks like um given the fact that we're only like he's only got like 30 game sample size or into the season so it's not necessarily like the story has been told um but you know realistically uh like i said before he's definitely put together the uh the body of work that would earn him a near max contract on the open market for sure Hmm. yeah um it seems like they need to make a move yeah Um, i mean i i i don't know what keeping Van Vliet and uh, Gary Trent Jr. really accomplishes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, for one, we know what I think we pretty much know what Van Vliet is. Um, yeah. Gary Trent Jr. What does he give you? I mean, he gives you a little bit of scoring. He's like a, I mean, t- sort of a shooter, right? Well, he is the shooter. Yeah, he's a he's an effective three point shooter. I mean, obviously, he's had a down season once again. Like yeah. this is this is the other thing with the season is everybody's had their worst season in like three or four years. Um, All at the so same it's making time. everything look yeah, it, it's making everything look a lot worse. Right. Um, but that uh, but the reality is, Gary Trent Jr. is a really effective uh, three point shooter. He's a good off ball player. He's he's once again not a guy who's going to be handle uh, uh, handing out the ball to anybody. His assist numbers are non-existent can he get his own and shot? that's but he can get his own shot and he he's a uh, he's very diverse in his ability to get uh himself into a, a like into a decent mid-range shot or a three-point shot and then he also can catch and shoot re- very well traditionally this season not so much but traditionally um that said uh where the raptors on the defensive end have the biggest area of I- area of improvement is uh, they are allowing the highest field goal percentage in the paint of any team in the, uh, any team that's in the playoffs or in the play-in currently, and uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't have a true true center to protect or a paint protector. Now, obviously, OG Ananobi has been injured for about a week and a half, so that also impacts it a little bit. He he tends to be the guy who can ha- who handles. Uh, the larger players in general, but uh, you know they've tried the Christian Coloco experiment, and that hasn't worked. And they've moved over to Juancho Hernan Gomez, who's like a six-seven dude, who's just another guy who's six-seven on the roster. He's a joke. Uh, I know what he is at this point. Yeah, I mean the the reality is with the Raptors, uh, the Raptors is they need to be targeting uh, like they, if they wanted to um, build as opposed to rebuild. Um, 
they have to be targeting a paint def- uh, def- uh, paint presence, and that's where someone like uh, Yaka Portal uh, becomes interesting. Uh, obviously, he has a history in the organization. He's best friends with Pascal Siakam, um, and he's a dynamite paint protector. Now, what that does for the spacing on the floor that's already bad, you know, that's that's uh, something to be uh, that's something that obviously they have to address later. Um, and Jakob Pertl wouldn't be someone they'd be trading a Gary Trent or something like that for. They'd probably be moving a Kem Birch in a first-round pick for. Um, and the other aspect is that the Raptors really do like how they draft. And moving on from picks is something that they have been very hesitant of doing in the past. Uh, so that's another thing that might be a holdup in that particular deal. It sounds like you don't have a true center or a true point <coughs> guard if your point guard is capable of getting other guys. So what would yeah. you consider well, to be the bigger need? Is it center? Is a big man. I, I think I think the Raptors have shown that they can be a dynamic defense without a center. So it's um, but that requires that requires a lot of health, a lot of health and activity. Obviously, when uh, when you lose OG and Anobi, and you're bringing Pascal Siakam back, and you're and Fred Van Fleet's coming back as well from injury yeah. um, and illness, like that that can really impact that side, and that's where a lot of the Raptors' offense was being generated from. So once that comes, once they come back, OG and Anobi came back into the lineup tonight, for instance, and the Raptors uh, were winning. I don't know what the score is now. Uh, we were down three with yeah, they're about losing. 40 seconds left. Yeah, they're, they're losing again now to the uh, to 76ers. But, you know, uh, I haven't seen what the game looks like yet, but looking at the score right now, it looks like the defense has at least been working. Pascal's good. Um, um, well, here, their health hasn't been there, like you said. You've had guys who have missed games. We're only a third of the way into the season. We have two-thirds left to go, so there's time to right the ship. Um, but... It's getting close to the time where they're going to want to start looking at trades if they're wanting to move off of somebody, and I'm assuming guy number one will be Freddie. I think guy number one right now is Trent, Trent. in the organization. Yeah. So, and and this is this is where I kind of like disagree with things. Like I think coming off of last season, um, you know, uh, Fred VanVleet was diagnosed with a hip issue that was said to be something that he has to manage throughout the rest of his career. That's a red flag for me, right? Like, especially if we're going to be giving max money to the guy. And then he had hip issues again to start the season. Um, and it really impacts his... It's really impacted his jump shot, which is where his... Which is why his shooting numbers had dropped so significantly after he came back from that hip issue. Um, now that they see... It seems to be recovering. He's getting that strength back. But if this is going to be something that's being ongoing, the Raptors are... Like, the idea of giving him... Forty million dollars or thirty-five million dollars, even over three, uh, three to four to five years. I mean, that's almost seems like a contract they almost instantly regret giving um, as soon as the ink is dry on it. And the only reason why uh, he would be given it, and we would do, we wouldn't be looking to not even necessarily upgrade on the position, but just delay our decisions on that position in the future. By adding some younger talent to expand, uh, like to experiment with. The only reason why we wouldn't be doing it is a loyalty-based thing. So, you know, he's a he's a good leader in the organization. He's been a good soldier. He's one of the last holdovers from the championship roster. But, I mean, realis- realistically, if I was making the decision, Freddie would definitely be. I'd be definitely at least fielding phone calls for Fred. Um, but yeah, G- Gary Trent Jr. Gary Trent Jr. is gonna a probably turn a better profit. Um, when it comes to asset-wise um, than Fred Van Fleet. 
uh, because he's paid roughly the same amount, but he's uh, he's younger, and he's uh, he's definitely a much more effective uh, catch and uh, uh, catch and shoot threat. Um, and l- when you look at the marketplace, when you look at a title hero, when you look at a Jordan Poole, you know that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of uh, player value that you're going to be looking at for a Gary Trent Jr. So that's where I think he would be. Uh, he would garner a little bit better assets, I think, on the open market um, if you're trying to shop a player right away. But realistically, um, I think if I was making decisions, I'd be looking at moving both. Uh, but realistically, I think at the very least, Gary Trent Jr. is likely going to be traded before the uh, before trade deadline is completed. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they t- even if they end up trying to uh, still make the playoffs, I think Gary Trent Jr. is probably still going to go packing. Well, I guess we can only just wait and see what happens with that, man. Um, but, but much like uh, the Suns with the Jay Crowder thing, uh, all of our teams here are just happen to be in flux with guys they want to get rid of at this point in time. Uh, yeah, I know, for sure. So, uh, how about those Warrars, huh? Yeah, obviously the Warriors uh, were already in trouble, and now they've uh, lost uh, They've lost uh, Curry um, for the foreseeable future. At least uh, one to two, uh, one month is what I saw originally. Yeah. I don't know what the, uh, the full diagnosis was. But, uh, yeah. I mean, it. This is what we were like. We were just talking. It's funny because we were just talking about this last Wednesday, and almost the next, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much the next day, everything went to shit. And basically, everything that I was saying, where, you know, I wouldn't be panicking unless, of course, an injury happened to Curry. You know, now it's time for the Warriors to really try to try to evaluate where they're going to be come the end of the season. So, thoughts and prayers go out to all the Curry fantasy owners out there. Mm, thinking of you guys. I'm thinking of you guys. Oh shit! Uh-oh. Raptors tied it up and going into overtime. Uh oh! Free basketball. We're gonna get yep. some live loofah overtime thoughts and reactions. <laughs> I have no thoughts. Uh, so um, about those Warriors, you know, <laughs> um, it's funny because the day that Curry went out, they had a game, and Draymond Green started off the game hot from beyond the arc. <laughs> yeah, no, he, uh, Draymond Green. So this is another thing that happens with the Raptors. Draymond Green is only scored Warriors? two, uh, two, uh, no, because he because Draymond Green went hot beyond the arc against the Raptors. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the Raptors. I thought, I thought you were being a little. No, the Raptors got. Bo- no, no, uh, the Raptors got blown out by the Curryless, uh, <laughs> Curryless and Wigginless uh, Warriors yesterday. Uh, oh jeez, man! I'm sorry. Yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, Draymond Green had only scored two, uh, two three pointers once this season. He scored three in the first. He got fucking hot. Just starting off the game, the very first thing I saw, like a Jordan Poole on Twitter, had a career year or had a career game. He has career high in points. I mean, yeah, this is this do. is just what happens. I saw yeah. something on Twitter. It's like this can't be real, right? It's like Draymond Green, 27 feet. Uh, Pascal Siakam from 25 feet. Draymond Green, 25. Yeah, <laughs> Draymond. It's, uh, it is. Uh, yeah, the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors are the get-right team right now. We uh, we started we started the Magic's run and uh, and then we uh, we gave the Warriors their first <laughs> win on their six-game road trip that had, that they lost Curry. <laughs> no and Wiggins Curry, on. no Wiggins. 
Yeah. You're going to have Draymond thinking he belongs in the three-point contest. Yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a Herculean effort, but, you know, the Raptors are there for the NBA, trying to uh, trying to make sure everybody gets on the right page and we all have positive vibes. Hey, somebody's got to do it. If, yeah. you, if you need some cheering up, uh, just ask Draymond to pull something out of his backpack for you. <laughs> well, it's so funny because, like, the announcers were really trying to make it known that the Dray- uh, Draymond really cares for Jordan Poole. <coughs> Jordan Poole fell over and Draymond's there. He's like grabbing him and he's like hugging him on the way up. He's he's handing the ball to uh, Poole. He's like, go get him, boy. Yeah, I love you. And it's, uh, it was very cute. Like they're they've got a they've got a, a exceptionally great uh, bromance going on. I hope those two make it. Aww, I do. I really do. Yeah. As long as they're having That's what fun true love there. looks like. Punch drunk glove. All right. So uh, the next op- uh, topic I wanted to talk about, it seems to be coming up a little bit more often, is it seems like we're talking about the, a lot of the uh, a lot of that really stellar rookie class that we saw last season has uh, kind of hit the dumps. So uh, we've seen uh, slumps coming from Giddy, Scotty Barnes, uh, Mobley, and uh, Cade Cunningham before his season-ending injury seemed to come out of the gates a little bit slow. There's a um, there's one name there that ain't no slump. Yeah, well, there's, and then you've seen uh, surges coming out, or at least uh, adjustments to the season uh, prior coming from uh, Jalen Green and Franz Wagner. So I guess, uh, is, is there any names there that you guys wanted to talk about and really give some insight there, on? And I'd like you to try again, it's Franz. Franz. That's what I said, Franz Wagner. You said Franz. I mean, whatever. Franz Wagner. Yeah, and it's a name that you should remember well because this guy, this is a future All NBA guy right here. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's been uh, he's been pretty uh, stellar, not only on the offensive end, but I was seeing some numbers about uh, his versatility on the defensive end that's been really uh, really stunning. He's actually been uh, shutting down guards uh, more frequently than he's been asked to uh, asked to guard in forward in the forward positions it's because they play with giants on the court. He plays the point. It's point fronts. Yeah, no, and uh, his chemistry, especially in the low post with uh, with Paulo Bancaro, seems to be very seamless. And uh, you know, he's really good at uh, setting up uh, somebody else that's on the roster. Uh, Mo Wagner ah. as well. I've seen him uh, set Mo up for some uh, pretty epic dunks. Those two seem to. Have formed quite a connection. I wonder if maybe they've just bonded a little bit in between games on the road or something. Yeah, it's a special relationship that they formed. A brotherhood, you could say. Uh, now, I know, uh, Duke, you're always digging into the numbers. Is there anything interesting that you've seen, uh, anything interesting you've seen for Franz that uh, might stick out for you at all? Uh, Numbers-wise, not not particularly. I mean, he's um, he's having a great season. He's a lot of fun to watch. Um, the the players on this list that I'm kind of interested is the uh, some of the sophomore slumps you brought up. So like Mobley and Scotty Barnes specifically. Um, yeah. So if you actually look at their numbers, they're not. They're, I mean, they're really kind of plateaued with where they were their their rookie season. So it's not as much as they're slumping. It's that they're not. They haven't really taken that next step that I think um, a lot of people were expecting from both of them. So I know you and I talked about this earlier. I think it was the True Hoop podcast mentioned yeah. about player development that it's not a linear thing. It's it's you know up and down, yeah. and it it doesn't always happen um, 
at an upward trajectory. So I think we'll see it come. Yeah. I mean, I hope we do uh, because they could both be superstars. I mean, truly. Yeah, well, I think with the Mobley, uh, Mobley's interesting is that it seems like he's also slipped defensively um, the last season, and I, I wonder how much that has to do with the fact that the um, the small forward position has changed so dramatically from last year to this year. Hmm. So previously, obviously, the starting small forward position was uh, Markinen, who added some uh, some additional length, um, particularly along the wing. Um, I'll, uh, Ideally, probably f uh, leaving less of a focus on the help defense for Mobley and allowing him to fo focus more on his man. Um, Isaac Okoro has always been a really good shutdown defender, but he certainly doesn't have the length uh, that uh, a Markinen has and such. And I wonder how, how much that affects it. But realistically, one of the things that uh, has been interesting is the on-off numbers with Mobley um, and uh, Jared Allen. Um, previously, they they had been uh, a dynamite pairing defensively, and now it appears that they are a little bit better um, with each other off of the floor. And I wonder, uh, I, I I haven't watched enough Cleveland games to really get an insight as to why that might be, um, but it seems it, it seems odd. And the only real difference from last year to this year was was the Markkanen situation. Now, where why it's important is Mobley wasn't really kind of like. He was he's good in the post uh, offensively and he has a sh three point shot and stuff like that, but it wasn't really his offensive numbers that really excited a lot of people. It was more pairing the fact that he was useful offensively with him being a potential defensive player of the year candidate, um, and seeing that defensive slip I think is really concerning. As for Scotty. Uh, one thing, uh, obviously, in the True Hoop podcast that they talked about as well is the fact that some players didn't necessarily add skills in the offseason. They kind of like they kind of rested on their laurels, and that's something I definitely disagree with um, when it comes to Scotty Barnes. I think with uh, Scotty, the slump is pretty easily explainable. Um, he is being asked to do immensely more on a regular basis in this offense than he was asked to do last season. Last season, you know, who's mostly just the fifth or fourth option on the offense, um, and he was just basically there to kind of pick up the pieces and be the, uh, be kind of like a cheerleader on the floor and an energy guy or a spark. Now he's asked to, like I mentioned before with Fred Van Fleet and such, he's actually asked to be the primary facilitator of the offense. And you've seen his playmaking uh, skills in action in the in the offensive end for the Raptors, he's uh, one of their more consistent assist makers. Uh, he's also when you actually see the plays that he's making, they're actually uh, they're they're very well thought out and defined. But what you're also seeing from him is he's making a lot of rookie point guard mistakes, and I think this really has to be considered more of a rookie season for him, given the fact that his role has been dramatically changed from what it was uh, what he was being asked to do last season uh, another thing is is Scotty's uh, three-point shot at the beginning of the season had dramatically improved it was clear that he spent a lot of time in the offseason working on it and the final thing is is he added a shit ton of muscle mass and uh, I think it's really affected his agility in the post so you're not seeing you're not seeing the quickness that we we saw last season you're seeing a lot of him playing tr trying to play more of a 
a bully ball or a strong a strong ball in the post, similar to what you see out of an OG and an Obi. Um, and I wonder if that inf- that uh, that is really kind of the influence that he's trying to model his game after in this sense. But he's he's just not he's not a, a strong enough finisher yet in the post for that to be an effective effective ma- uh, manner. That said, you know, like you've definitely seen signs of him being able to take over games, um, and I think that's something that uh, it, you know we didn't see it necessarily last year. And I think he's definitely uh, moving up uh, moving forward. Um, in a way that the statistics aren't necessarily going to highlight, uh, just because his uh, his roles changed. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think I'd like to dive into his uh, his comparison from from year one to year two a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I would. I'd be interested more in the usage rate, more yeah. like I guess his touches of the ball per uh, per possession. Because I would imagine those uh, his time of possession is probably dramatically increased mm. from last season to this season, just from watching how the games are progress uh, playing, right? Like just watching how they're utilizing him differently. Um, they started kind of doing it at the beginning of la- uh, at the end of last season, um, but they've really kind of embraced him as the de facto point guard on the floor um, now uh, with uh, with the beginning of this season. And one of the things that like so when you watch the uh, Watch the Raptors when they got uh, when they almost beat uh, who was it they almost beat they ended up losing by one point two it was two games ago I can't remember right now um, <laughs> but uh, when he got into the f- he was having such a crappy game throughout the game and then when he got into the fourth quarter he just started like driving the ball right down people's throats and just finishing everything at the rim and you could see the strength that he had really built up in the off season in that uh, when he was doing that. And I really feel like when when you hear Nick Nurse he's talking about how he wants Scotty to be more aggressive, I think that's what he's talking about. I think Scotty's um, natural instinct is to distribute the ball, and uh, and I think uh, what uh, I think what what will really unlock him in the future is being able to actually drive drive and complete in the paint. So I pulled up his now, uh, his uh, year one, year two stats, and. Uh, yeah. So for Scotty, you're right. His his usage rates in, increased, um, only by like two percent, which is kind of surprising. But um, yeah, yeah. I wonder what his time of possession numbers are though. Like, yeah. I, like because I think that his he's holding the ball a lot more. He's being asked to do more in his in his uh, possessions as well. Yeah, I'd have to look at his touches and stuff uh, and see. See what that looks like. But I also have Evan Moby Evan Mobley pulled up. So it's funny. When you look at the the two side by side, um, with him yeah. and Scotty Barnes, so his usage rate's actually gone down this year, but his uh, yeah. well, it makes sense. His, well, yeah, with with Jared Allen, I mean, um, well, it makes sense with Donovan Mitchell. True, right? like they added uh, they added a high a high usage player, right? So this guy. So yeah, but looking at a lot of the defensive stats are down, especially the percentage of uh, like team percentages. Um, Interestingly enough, though his uh, like efficiency's gone up, he's got a higher offensive rating. I mean, he's, his true shooting percentage is up six points, uh, a higher effective field goal percentage. Um, his defensive rating is not that far off, so it's interesting. Yeah, I, mean, like, I think that 
I think when they like, like I said before, I think it was less about the offensive numbers. Yeah, yeah. That were more of a concern. And it's more of like the uh, the dip in the defense, and particularly the on-off numbers with him and Jared Allen. Yeah. I think that has been a lot of what people were concerned with with regards to Mobley. Uh, because I think what people were hoping for is not maybe n- not necessarily all defensive position right now, but definitely putting himself in a position where he could be a perennial all defense and a contender for uh, for defensive player of the year kind yeah. of situation. He's, right? he's only 21 years old. But I mean, there's so much development. But he's life. so big. Yeah. yeah. Like I mean, like you, like there's very rarely do you see like uh, like in, like an early 20s like. Uh, player where you're like that person's stronger than most of the people on the court. <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, of the slumps that I'm actually the most interested in because I think this is a. I'm not sure where he goes from here to be honest. I know it's only two years into his career and he had such a good uh, first season, but uh, but Giddy, um, obviously his shot has still not progressed uh, to where he wants it to be. Uh, his playmaking has taken a step back, and with Jalen Williams in uh, OKC uh, really stepping into that backup playmaker role behind uh, SGA, I thought for sure uh, that we'd see a little bit more out of Giddy. But I think this is uh, this is a bit concerning, and I wonder, I wonder if his time in uh, OKC is going to be long. Giddy yeah, yeah. up. Good contribution. <laughs> Visual joke. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so, uh, Duke, what are your thoughts on Giddy? Yeah, he's. Um, you know, I wonder how much his his slump has to do with uh, with SGA kind of just being super amazing. Uh, yeah, and he's another guy that I, I don't really know what they what they do with him. Um, well, it's it, like when you look at it, SGA is obviously a primary ball handler, a primary ball handler, and you you want to keep the ball in his hands. He's gonna be. It seems like he's putting himself into that like heliocentric role, like a like a Luka Doncic or or along those lines. And in that case, like you need shooters. And the question is, is like, what is Giddy giving you? If he's not gonna be the backup p- ball handler. If Jalen Williams is the preferred ball handler, who he's he's definitely shown uh, at least this season uh, to be able to run the offense a lot more efficiently than Giddy has. If he's not going to do that, then he has to be able to take make uh, take and make shots, which he's not able to really do. So what is he what is he bringing to the table uh, for OKC at this period of time? I missed that typing. <laughs> Baldy's back. Uh, now, obviously, Cade uh, had the big injury. I don't really, I didn't watch a lot of uh, a lot of him to really know anything. More of the things that I saw of Detroit and uh, Cade running the offense was the fact that they were taking the ball out of his hands too often and letting other people who shouldn't have been running the offense run the offense. Um, do, do you have any uh, thoughts on Jalen Green? Uh, you know, people are talking about this being more of a breakout year for him. But looking at his uh, numbers, it seems like they're more usage related than they are a- efficiency related. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that, uh, Sandy. Or uh, Duke. Uh, Jalen Green, man, I like watching him play. Um, actually, I like a lot watching a lot of those Rockets players. Um, they're surprisingly yeah. fun. 
are as not good as yeah, they I mean, are. They're, they're saucy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's got some swag, man. Um, I like him. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, for me, uh, for me, it's more like it's more the fact that like he's not very efficient, which I think is kind of a hindrance. And I'm, like, I'm wondering if he was on a more talented team, uh, would we be thinking that he's having such a great year? You know, we, we need guys like him. You just 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 run up and down the court, chuck the ball. Maybe it goes in, maybe it doesn't. But you're gonna look good doing it. Are you? I mean. <laughs> I mean, he's got nice hair. Yeah, dude, like, that yeah, hair. Like, he's got a he's got an iconic look. Like, iconic look. Hey, man, it's a good look. Speechless. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, we did have a special request uh, from a from a fan. They wanted us to uh, talk about uh, why do the refs hate Jaw? Uh, anybody have uh, any thoughts on that, Baldy? Uh. Because he carries the ball and travels more than he should. <laughs> I've seen the Twitter videos of uh, I forget his name now. The internet detective sleuthing it yeah. out. That's, that's, the golf that's not the reason at all. Now is is a point is a point that you've chosen to make. But the reason that the refs are on the jaw is because jaw fucks, bro. Jaw <laughs> fucks. He sure does. Have you seen the Jawbreaker? He fucks. <laughs> he fucks. <laughs> I'd like to uh, circle back to Baldi's point uh, <laughs> real quick. <laughs> I'd like to leave this fucking point. <laughs> uh, I believe. What is his name? Like Devin Motion? Is that what it is? Yeah, that sounds well, right. I'm glad that you bring him up. Uh, because he's my favorite. Get the, get the fuck out of here, you <laughs> golf snitch! No one wants. To, no one wants to see your like little fucking. Oh, he double dribbled. Oh, look, this is Perry. Oh yeah, yeah like, man. It's, you know what everybody's crap. looking for? You know what everybody wants more in in, in the NBA? I, I I think I speak for all NBA fans, including Devin Motion. I want to hear more whistles and less athleticism. That's what I want to see. Isn't that what you guys want to see? No. I tune in. I want to see players play by the rules. You want to know what I want to see more of? Okay, Grandma. Everybody needs to play by the rules. Uh. I'd like to see more crab dribbles. The crab dribble. Oh, the crab dribble. You know, really, as long as both teams play hard, have fun, what else is there? <laughs> the crab dribble. Based on my small amount of research here, it seems like John Morant went on Instagram in November and complained about the refs having too much power. So it's like some chicken or the egg if the refs hate Jaw or Jaw hates the refs. It's more. always the or refs. Or who started it. Mm. Refs, it's always the, the feds, man. Yeah. yeah. The ref cards are just feds in funny shirts. I mean, in the actual incident, uh, some fans were like, "Hey, John, we're only down twenty points. You, you gotta get, uh, gotta get moving and stuff." And he's like, "I try, uh, I'm, I'm trying, but these refs are just trying to fuck me or something like that." And uh, oh. the, the ref was standing right between him and the fans, and he kicked him out for you know speaking truth to power. Um, so hmm. that's when uh, that's when Jaw decided to get uh, get in the locker room and start tweeting about it. So Wait, I thought Jaw fucked. Not that's what I was going to say. Jaw fucked. Yeah. The refs don't fuck Jaw. Well, not, uh, that, not according to Jaw. Mm. Need to figure out the fucking hierarchy here. If that's you know, 
Mm. I don't want to stick up for a cop here, but <laughs> I mean, if the if he was right there, you, you know, it's pretty dumb. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a dumb no, thing to say and do at that period of you time. You know, but know what you're getting yourself into. Don't. I, I, I would like to think that I would have been smarter in that situation. That said, I mean, look at me, Ruffy. Kicking somebody out yeah. at, like as somebody else is taking a free throw, like I mean that's a bad look. And no one's there to not watch Jaw play. When when they're putting yeah. when they're putting the Grizzlies on like thirty national television games uh, a year, you think they're doing that so that they can see a ref kick somebody uh, kick Jaw out at, uh, at the free throw line halfway through the game? Well, they were doing it so we could watch Tyus Jones. Yeah, obviously that's what it was, and that it, it, and to save the ratings uh, for the NBA, Jack decided he's like they're obviously not going to put Tyus Jones without my help, so I'm going to kick Jaw out of the game. Like I mean, it's just dumb. It was a, it was a dumb penalty. The side of Stephen Adams. <laughs> I can understand if like Jaw was like calling him names and stuff like that, but you know, just grow a little bit thicker skin, ref. You don't like it, then uh, maybe uh, maybe call the game a little better. So yeah, you're going to have better. to follow me on this one, but I found another connection to John Morant being in the wrong here. Okay. Uh, so John Morant, size 15 shoe. You know who else has a size 15 shoe and has a problem with authority? How tall is he? Kyrie Irving. Whoa! Morant is Kyrie Irving. I just think to myself here, these feds in the NBA, these zebras, these cops, yeah. there's a guy on the team named Bang. Like, he blows up. Pittsburgh Stadium, so maybe they should go after him. Darkness is my ally. <laughs> I don't believe Bane was playing. He's there, man. He's in a suit. He's got the mask on. And I tell you what, Bane in the movie, he wasn't playing any games either. He's born in it. Molded by it. Alright, apparently Baldy ruined it. We killed the bird man. <laughs> you didn't even hear me say it. Killed the bird man. We killed the bird man. Do you remember when? Uh, I think the Cavs. Cavs could be. Watching, he know, gave us an insightful answer. What is this character? I expected you to say like the Kings. <laughs> well, the Cavs, uh, the Cavs are gonna be obviously his pick because the Cavs have his his NBA crush on them now. Robin Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Who's his NBA crush? <laughs> Donovan Olay. So, so, so now you're mixing up uh, Baldy and Duke. Hmm? Who is? Duke's NBA crush is <laughs> Donovan Olay. Yeah. Am I mixing up Baldy and Duke? You are. I think so, yeah. Motherfucker, no! <laughs> You're listening to the Fool Court Press Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to us self-indulge a little bit. Uh, here's uh, Duke to tell us why Jokic is the MVP. So, Take it away, Duke. So, I don't know for sure that he's the MVP, but I think... So tell us, why are you certain that he's going to win the MVP? I'm not certain, 
that he's going to win. You put money on it today if you could. I would. I, I absolutely would. So he is. Uh, well, while I walk in the draft games. Quietly. Well, not so quietly anymore. Not so quiet. After, these la- after this last week, um, having the best season of his career, uh, especially in terms of efficiency. So. But, dude, he's not scoring as many points. He's not taking as many shots. That's true. That's very true. And, and that would be why his efficiency is Thank up, Thank you, Sandy. little girl. <laughs> Fewer shots. But he's still making. Wow. All right, I'm gonna. Th- is I'm gonna throw some numbers at you guys. So just bear with me a little bit. I'll try my best. I'm, to I'm gonna try to make I this not math. boring. Uh, so I'll start with his last five games. So his last five games, the team's four and one. In those five games, he's averaging 34 points, oh, 15, 15 rebounds, 10 assists, two and a half steals. 1.2 blocks, uh, and he's shooting 59% from the field. Pretty good stretch. He's uh, he's almost averaging a triple-double in the season. Yes, he is. He's about, there. I think, an assist under or something. Um, his yeah. win shares, I guess we could start there. So he's sat out, I think, three games. Um, so, I mean, if he played every every game the rest of the season, which he probably won't, let's be honest. So, if he plays the rest of the games, his pace for... Se- We're not talking about Giannis. His pace for 79 games, his win shares is 16.1 for the season. His previous season high was 15.6 in a 72-game season. So, that was like one of the weird, this weird COVID here. So his usage rates. I thought all the COVID years were very. Old. <laughs> well, uh, I think that bubble championship counts more than any of the other ones. Yeah. With anyway, <laughs> that, yeah, that's something that's never been well discussed on any podcast well ever. Not, not once. It's original and unique to us. I think we've uh, discussed the bubble championship and how we think that it was fun. All right, yeah. next. <laughs> usage rate. And how we think it was fine. So his usage rate's down, 27.5%, down from a career high last year, 30.9%. Um, again, his percentages are up. Uh, his plus minus, averaging 7.9%. Like, um, what was the last time his usage rate was around that? Um, I can pull that up for you. So, it was the last, the season before his first MVP. It was, uh, it was like a percentage point so, lower. So the, so the Jamal Murray injury, uh, prior to Jamal Murray's injury then? Uh, yeah, because that was pre-bubble. Pre-bubble and yeah. in the bubble, so yeah. The, like, that was the bubble yeah. year, so that, and Jamal Murray got yeah, yeah. injured in the bubble, yep. so. Yep. Okay. So his plus minus 7.9 this year versus uh, 6 last year. Offensive rating, 123 versus 122 seasons ago, which was also an MVP year. Assist percentage, so his percentage of, uh, hang on, I just lost my page. Percentage of possessions, Sorry. Uh, usage percent, uh, possessions. All right, my tab just closed, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So his assist percentage this year is 
38.8 last year. Uh, what was it uh, back in the Jamali Murray year? The percentage was 35. So that's gone almost five points. Yeah, significant. Yeah. Uh, assist to turnovers, two and a half uh, against 2.7 two years ago. So a little dip there. Uh, assist ratio 29.4 compared to 24.8 last year. So, yeah. So overall, his playmaking abilities increased. Uh, his usage has gone down, but his uh, overall efficiency is uh, dramatically increased. Why do you think that's better than what we're seeing from uh, Tatum? Well, I think Tatum probably has uh, more around him. Uh, he's got a, a surefire running main, Jalen Brown. Um, they've got. Save for the last week, Derek, uh, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. Uh, I mean, they just got Bob Williams back, and he is a Bob. That's what we're calling him now. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think I think Jamal Murray being back helps. Um, I think they're running a lot of the yeah. offense through him, which is good. That's that's what they should be doing. And uh, well, I think they're running the offense through Jokic, right? Yeah, no, that's what I mean through Jokic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's what I'm saying. Um, So I mean, his uh, like I said, his shooting numbers are way better. His effective field goal percentage is 65 percent. It was 62 last year, which was a career high. His true shooting percentage is almost 70 percent. It was 62 last year. I have this whole thing. I think his on-off numbers are very much similar, or very similar to how like insane yes. Curry's yeah. on-off numbers are, and the fact that you know, you know, Denver has been uh, I- is sitting in fourth place with that kind of no- with yeah. those kinds of numbers uh, speaks uh, speaks to uh, the level of uh, impact that he has on the overall yeah. game. Yeah, what I, what I think is so interesting about him is his assist numbers. So he accounts for forty percent of his team's assists which was 37 last year, 37% last year. He's averaging nine assists per game. Um, So his career high before that was 8.3, two years ago. A little trivia. So he's like third, I think, in the league in assists. So when was the last time a center led the league in assists per game? I assume it was Wilt. It has never been done. So Wilt led in total assists. And 67, 68, and it's finished second in assists per game. Also won the MVP that year. So, so uh, pretty good, uh, huh? That's a pretty solid case. Um, that said, uh, I know that uh, we're going to be talking. Uh, we'll move into the next topic here. Tim Bontemps of uh, ESPN released his straw poll results for the MVP. So basically, what the straw poll results is is he inter- uh, he uh, sends out. Uh, a ballot to 100 likely voters for the MVP to mimic the actual MVP um, voting practice, asking for their top five, and then he does the he does the point uh, points based off of the uh, MVP formula that the NBA has put out. Um, it's a good way of getting a, a decent uh, view of what the NBA's uh, what the NBA voters are thinking. Uh, when it comes to the MVP race. And right now, Jokic is sitting in fifth place behind Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Giannis, and Tatum. Now, obviously, Steph, I think, is going to fall right off of this list. 
um, along with uh, the person who's sitting in at number... 12. Where is he? The AD. Yeah, number 12, AD. Um, both because they've, uh, they've either had season-ending injuries or very long-term injuries at the very least that are going to impact their overall uh, games played. So that said, uh, we'll, we'll say Jokic is sitting fourth behind Luka, Giannis, and Tatum. What are your thoughts on that, uh, uh, Sandy? I mean, I feel like it's a fair placement. Um, I get what you're saying here, Duke, but Tatum, um, better record, you know. Um, that team looks like an actual juggernaut, just just in general. And I don't feel like we get the same result with him there. You could say the same for Denver with Jokic, but I, I think Tatum is putting up a resume right now. He deserves the MVP if the season ended today. Um, and Giannis... Um, you know, I think Jokic is probably having a better season than Giannis, but again, they, they have a better record. Well, I think where uh, I think where Giannis has the leg way up on Jokic is I think that there's a very solid argument that Jokic is a difficult player to build a defense around, um, and I think that's a and the rea- that shows in how the defense is performing uh, for Denver, and that's that's where a lot of their inconsistencies and in performance is kind of born from. Whereas Giannis is, you know, arguably the second or third best defender on his team, but also arguably the second or third best defender in the league, um, and a multiple defensive player of the year. Not to mention he has the ability to take over the games offensively. He doesn't, he doesn't distribute in anywhere near the level that a, a Jokic does. But uh, I think that there isn't. I, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think Giannis is uh, sitting in that position on reputation alone. I think that there's, uh, there's definitely a reason for it. That said, I think we need to really consider if Luca needs to still be in the MVP conversation at this period of time. Obviously, with the uh, with the Mavericks, you know, bordering on a, a play-in team or out of the playoffs. Um, now, there's a lot to say about the roster that's been built around him, but I mean. At the same time as well, you, you see your borderline all-star players like Christian Wood having career low seasons. Um, you know, a lot has to be, like, there. he seems to skate a lot for the poor performance of his teammates when he's the one that has the ball in his hands all the time and is kind of responsible for the performance of his teammates. Yeah, he needs, he needs better players around him, man. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking... Looking at his numbers for the year, and like, I think he would really benefit from an efficiency standpoint if he cut down on the number of threes he took. If he, you know, but they don't have. I mean, who do they have that that can? You can have shoot that shot if it's not him. Exactly, Spencer Dinwiddie. And if you got, they tried the Porzingis thing, just didn't work. No, you got to wonder what kind of a guy does he need? Because Christian Wood doesn't seem to to be cutting it either. Dinwiddie is the is the best corner three point shooter in the league right now. Uh, Christian Wood has a decent three point shot. Um, he can he can hit on a regular uh, on a uh, a relatively regular basis. Um, but the fact is, is his three point attempts are way down. It's obviously his minutes are way down as well, um, and his usage rate is way down um, from where he has been previously. And like I said before, like Christian, yeah, like, I mean, like it, it, like. 
at, at the end of the day, it's like they keep on saying that he needs a second star, he needs a second star. What, what second star is a second star that doesn't have the ball in their hands and never is able to, mm-hmm. p- uh, never able to put their own imprint on a game? And at that point, you get a second star, what's it going to do to Luca's guy? Yeah, like, what's Luca capable of doing when he doesn't have the ball in his hands? Like, I mean, we've never really, really I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, I think a lot's been made out, uh, made out about the, the supporting cast on the, uh, on the Mavericks, and sure, they lost Brunson, so there's, there's that. But I would say that, given what they were able to do last season, um, adding Christian Wood to that mix, I would say was a net positive for them. And the fact that you're seeing, in, I think Christian Wood is the the best example of um, what we're talking about. What a pl- and I mean, Christoph Porzingis is another one is exactly a, another one that kind of proves what we're talking about here. Why is it that these players who can play when they're away from Luca, but as soon as they get put paired with Luca, all of a sudden they're heavily deficient, and they all of a sudden are no longer Luca no longer has help. And then, in Christoph Porzingis' uh, example, when he leaves Luca again, he's back to where he was before. They don't have the same opportunities when they're playing with him. They're not getting the ball in the post. They're not getting the ball rolling. They're getting the ball spot up or off a pick or wrong. Well, and then I guess the question is, is if that's the case, then who's to say that Luca doesn't have the help around him already? It's just that because of the way they operate their offense, you'll never know. Yeah. We don't know who the next Brunson in this, is on this team because Brunson only became Brunson when Luca was injured, right? Right, and then now he's and now he's showing to be a, probably an All Star um, on the uh, on the, the Knicks. on the New York Knicks, but he was never that when Luca was playing with him. <laughs> like when only he was only that when Luca was injured, and he was able to show that in the playoffs. Like you know, this uh, this is what I'm saying. It's like I don't think Luca has evolved his game very much like he can do whatever he wants on the court but if he wants to have help and he doesn't want to have to do everything himself then he has to also relinquish that and start adding aspects to his game that would allow him to allow people to help him do we even know if he can shoot it spot up like can he stand in the corner 15 seconds out of possession catch the ball do we know drive he, and shoot it well do we know he can move off ball we can he can he, do, can he move through an off-ball screen? Can he can he be the can he be the non-ball handler in a pick and roll situation? I mean, there's a lot of different things that you know, good players like a Kevin Durant or somebody like like that who's lower on the list than him, like a Zion Williamson. Like I mean, these players that while they can do things with the ball in their hands and they can have the offense run through them, they can also play off-ball and allow their teammates to actually produce. So the thing in his favor is he's still very young. I just oh yeah, for they, sure. They just it's gonna take but the I right think, pieces for him to. I think my point is is like why is he like I don't think he belongs in the MVP conversation because yeah. while I, blo- I I agree that right now it's pretty empirically evident that there's no one else on his team doing anything productive. I think that that may also be a detriment. Uh, I, I believe that may be a product of his play on the court, yeah. right? So I, I mean, I think that their position in the in the league is something that he's earned, is what I'm, I guess I'm saying. And then if that's the case, yeah, sure, he's got all the counting stats, but is that an MVP case that he, we should be putting together? And should he be number three in the league right now in the in the straw poll? I'd have to say no. 
I just wish all those guys like Spence and Wood, they wouldn't show up when they played the Suns. Like, like if y'all want to not show up against everybody else, take the night off against Phoenix too. Oh man, please. <laughs> Dinwiddie has actually had a pretty decent season too. That's the other thing. <laughs> that it's like, guy, I... <laughs> but what are your thoughts, uh, Duke? Um, I think I think I would have him. I mean, I don't think I would have him top three in in the in the straw poll. I think that's a little high. But a, a lot of this came out. I mean, it's just you know a random. A lot of it's when it was yeah, collected yeah. and stuff like that, right? But I, I guess uh, I guess if you were to put together a top five right now, knowing that Curry's out, knowing that AD's out, so let's just eliminate them from being even considered at this point in time. Oh. Would you think that Luca deserves to be in your top five? He's not in my top five. I have a top five. If you want it? Yeah, sure. Let's. Uh, so, you show yeah, me yours. So I'll show uh, you mine. I'm Jokic one. Duke. Now I'm trying to give you the gravitas. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you got to be a little bit closer to your phone because you. Yeah, all I heard was. I listened back last week and I heard myself just overbearingly loud. So, trying to hold it yeah. in for the way. It's time now. For Duke's top five MVP players. Number five. Number five is Nikola Jokic. Number four. <laughs> Number four, Jason Tatum. <laughs> oh, wait, we're going in reverse. What am I doing? <laughs> Number three. <laughs> oh my God. He doesn't know numbers. <laughs> He's our stats guy. <laughs> Here's a I'm new segment. Duke doesn't know numbers. <laughs> Finish strong, Duke. Numbers. No, three. start over. Start over. Wow, uh, oh, ruined it. We're doing a five. No. Number five. Number five is Zion Williamson. I wonder who number one is. is number four. <laughs> what is that noise? Number four, Giannis. It's the crowd. The freak. <laughs> I don't know. Number three. Number three. Maybe a, maybe a bit of a surprise to you guys. <laughs> Kevin Durant. Whoa! It's not his. I mean, Kyrie. I mean, they're doing well in the East. They're doing well enough in the East for him to be considered yeah, so, at the very least. So, 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 I, number two is I Tyler, feel like Jokic right? quietly having the best season of his... You know, Durant is quietly having an MVP-type season. Yeah. I want to say it's his best season. See his running mate. Number two. Number two, Jason Tatum. Oh, I feel like we heard this one before. Aqua? Just edit that out. Number one, Baldy, take it away. Well said. <laughs> Nikola Jokic. Yeah. <laughs> Nikola Jokic. Coca-Cola Jokic. I'm just yoking. Mm. Yeah, I was... Uh, I, I gotta be honest, I have a very similar uh, very similar list to you. I, uh, I had Zion uh, definitely in, uh, in there. Um, I had Durant in there. And then for me as well, I, I have uh, Booker. But... Outside of, outside of that, uh, there wasn't anything different. I th- I I think I agree with your uh, your number. I think I don't know. I'm I'm on the fence between Tatum and Jokic at this period of time. I don't know who my number one is anymore now that uh, Curry's out of the mix. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, it's uh, 
I think when you when push comes to shove, I don't think that uh, Luca's uh, Luca's position in the MVP race uh, should be as secure as we thought it was at the beginning of the season, particularly given uh, how the Ma Mavericks have been performing. And I think that he's skating a lot for uh, the performance of his teammates. Yeah, and what a shame. I think there's still maybe he should sell time. Say again. I mean, like you see, you see other players get hit with this. Harden's gotten hit with this in the past. You know, uh, Trey Young got hit with this. Uh, has been getting hit with this, and the fact that teammates don't perform well with yeah, him. You've been beating the shit out of Trey on that. I mean, and you'll see, and no you'll notice a fairly consistent uh, message. I think when I talk about these players, like it's, I, I don't obviously like these heliocentric players. Uh, I don't think it's a successful way of building a, a winning organization, and it can only get you so far. And I think that uh, we we overvalue counting statistics from high usage players. Yeah, and Trey's certainly not an efficient player either. No, I mean, and, and then yeah, like I mean, he hasn't been this bad before, but I still didn't like him before this season, right? So this is just a manifestation of everything ugly about Trey Young's game. And there's the reason why he doesn't even get mentioned in this straw poll. It's a real hairy situation down there. Nobody could hear me. I heard somebody say something about Charles Manson. Who the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I read it like I said to the uh, like I said to the boys. Um, <laughs> I, I read a tweet today, and I assume it was true because all tweets are true. All three tweets that I read are facts. I read a tweet today from an unverified account. Uh, <laughs> that said Angela Lansbury had who had a teenage daughter. When she was living in Hollywood, she had a teenage daughter who was uh, who was like um, being lured in by an older man, and he had encouraged her to steal food and money from her parents for him and such. And as a result, they just picked up and moved to the UK because I guess that's what you do when you're Angela Lansbury. And, oh. and they found out later it was it was Charles Manson. Yeah. I'm trying not to fucking laugh and blow you know? the story. The story checks out. There's a lot of links. <laughs> I know, yeah, I just googled it and like there's a variety link and everything. Like there's <laughs> this might Whoa. actually be true. <laughs> How do you what you think the Twitter just makes shit up? It was on the tw it was on twitter.com guys. No one lies on Twitter. That's facts. You're listening to the Fool Court Press podcast. Now uh, we're gonna move into uh, the 2014 draft deep dive. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I wanted to do another uh, draft deep dive. This one is one that's uh, particularly interesting for me because it had a high percentage of Canadians uh, drafted, and uh, a significant amount of them didn't do anything pro productive with their careers. <laughs> and one of them actually has done okay, but only in the later half of his career. <laughs> Um, so uh, the 2014 draft was highlighted by a few things. Um, f 
first off, they had, there was four main players that everybody had been talking about prior to the draft. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Joel Embiid, and Dante Exum. Uh, Joel Embiid was widely considered the best pr- player in the draft, but had uh, suffered a season-ending en- injury during the draft process. Uh, I believe it was a fracture in his foot. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, and as a result, uh, Jabari Parker and Wiggins were de- uh, being debated for the number one draft pick. Another thing that happened coming out of this draft is that uh, that LeBron James uh, re-signed in Cleveland um, and uh, and traded Cleveland's first overall draft pick, uh, along with a bunch of other uh, other uh, resources for Kevin Love to build an inevitable championship team. So, that said, let me get my uh, my numbers up here in front of me. So I went through uh, I went through the uh, the overall dra- uh, draft list. So to, just to refresh people's memory, the first five picks of the draft were Cleveland uh, drafted Andrew Wiggins first overall. Jabari Parker was drafted by Milwaukee second overall. Joel Embiid was drafted third overall by Philly. Aaron Gordon. Uh, was drafted by Orlando, fourth overall, and Dante Exum was drafted fifth overall by Utah. Of those first five picks, uh, when reviewing the win shares, uh, win shares comparatively to where their uh, where their draft rank was, you would say that three of the fives were probably would be considered busts. Uh, one of them who may not be considered a bust would be Andrew Wiggins, because Andrew Wiggins has actually turned into an all-star player now. Um, but Jabari Parker and Dante Exum, Dante Exum never really made it much in the league. He ended up finishing the, uh, finishing uh, with 3.1 win shares, and he's out of the league now, uh, which was good for 28th overall in the, in the draft. Jabari Parker, also out of the league now. 13.8 win share, uh, shares, which was good for 23rd in the overall in the draft. Andrew Wiggins with 26 win shares is 10th overall in the draft. That said, oh. interesting side note, there were a number of franchise players drafted in this draft. And I wanted to uh, ask you guys, who do you think the number one player in the 2014 draft was? I know the answer. So... So Duke's not allowed to talk. Uh, so this is the jo- Joel Embiid draft. Who do you think is the best player out of the Joel Embiid, Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker draft? It wouldn't be Joel Embiid. Is that your final answer? Yeah. <laughs> Baldy, do you have a guess? Jokic. Jokic? Yeah, Jokic. Jokic. Nailed yeah. it. Basketball expert yeah. over here. <laughs> Nikolai Jokic has uh, so Joel Embiid is sitting third overall with win shares forty seven point two. Um, now it's important to note that Joel Embiid has missed a significant amount of time with injury, including the first two seasons of his career. Nikolai Jokic is leading the draft class with eighty four point seven win shares first overall. Nikolai Jokic famously drafted forty first in this draft class. Who's number two? Number two was uh, Clint Capella. Oh wow! Yeah, and, and this is and this is the problem with win shares overall. It's, it really heavily favors bigs. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like we noticed this last time when uh, when 
who was the uh, who was the guy in, uh, in out of New York that uh, ended up being Mitchell really Robinson, abs- I think. absurdly high? Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, like Clint Capella is the Mitchell Robinson of this draft. He was drafted twenty fifth overall by uh, by the Houston uh, Houston Rockets. He has fifty five point nine win shares. Um, good for second in uh, second overall. He's put together a nice little career for himself, huh? He's still playing. He's still starting. I mean, he's no. never really he's never really uh, produced like a, at an all star level, but you know he's a uh, uh, he's definitely uh, been consistent on the uh, on a regular basis, and I think he's probably one of the best ring, rim running bigs in the league um, on a consistent basis. What what he did with Harden, and then now what he's been doing uh, with Trey and uh, Trey and Murray in uh, in Atlanta, uh, he's you know consistently showing that he uh, he can defend the rim and uh, he can run uh, he can run at the rim and in pick and rolls. So he's well, he's good. I wouldn't say he's number two. Uh, there's a couple other all stars in this uh, draft that were picked. Zach Levine out of Minnesota. He's got 24.7 win shares, 13th overall. Um, I don't think he has an all star to his name. Marcus Smart, uh, defense uh, reigning defensive player of the year, was drafted sixth overall. He's sitting seventh in win shares with 31.4. Julius Randle was dr- drafted seventh overall by LA with 34.4 win shares, uh, which is good for fifth overall in the uh, out of this draft. An important note with Julius Randle as well is he basically missed his entire rookie season with a broken leg as well, um, and then he got sentenced to uh, Orlando. Um, other uh, other important uh, or other noteworthy people who were uh, uh, who performed well in the uh, out of this draft. Um, Kyle Anderson was thirtieth picked uh, by San Antonio. Uh, he's got ninth uh, most win shares in the, in the uh, draft of twenty eight point one. Joe Harris was picked in the second round. Uh, he's sitting fifteenth overall in win shares. Spencer Dinwiddie is twelfth overall with win shares. He was also picked in the sp- second round. Jeremy Grant, another borderline All Star, or if not All Star, I'm pretty sure he may have an All Star to his name. I think he had one when he was with Detroit. Um, and then uh, Dwight Powell and Jordan Clarkson also drafted in the second round. Mm. So uh, this draft had a few interesting things happen in it, also within the draft when it comes to draft day trades. Um, one of the ones I wanted to highlight was the uh, trade that Chicago did with the Denver Nuggets, who, if you were to say who won this draft, even if you took Jokic out of it, who won this draft, it was the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets traded the draft rights um, the, or, or the Denver Nuggets obtained the draft rights for Eustace Nurkic and Gary Harris in this trade, both of whom greatly outproduced their uh, uh, outproduced their um, draft position and win shares. And then, as well, the Denver Nuggets, uh, sorry, the Denver Nuggets as well were able to draft Nikola Jokic. Um, so that was an uh, that was an interesting one. Um, and then a team that did very poorly in this draft was the Phoenix Suns. Basically, everybody that the Phoenix Suns drafted in this particular draft did not play for them. And they had, I think, four draft picks at the end of it. Mm. But yeah. <laughs> oh, well, so, sorry, there was one guy who did play. 
Bogdan Bogdanovich. T.J. Mm. Warren, who I, I believe is a is a possibility to return. No, um, no thanks. If everything if everything goes Sandy's way. No, that's okay. We don't want him. <laughs> so, I remember there was a time there where people were actually thinking that Nurkic was going to be the guy for Denver. Mm. Um, I mean, he had a stellar rookie season. Yeah. And then, like, uh, and then everybody was really shocked when uh, the Nuggets gave up on him, in air quotes, um, and traded him to Portland, where he, he continued to have a good few years until he broke his leg, right? Um Nurkic, uh, like, I mean, Nurkic is a uh, is a really big um, was a really big boon. Another thing that's interesting about this as well that I noticed, and I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna look back in a couple other drafts as well uh, about this. There used to be this trend, particularly started by Houston, where you draft foreign players who aren't gonna come over, and you're, you're gonna stash them. So every NBA team has the has the ability to stash two additional uh, European. Um, prospects um, on their uh, on their roster without any uh, any payroll. And the, basically, the point of the uh, the draft and stash is that you accumulate the asset, but you don't necessarily have to pay the asset. Um, and it's something that you then can use later for trades. So of the uh, of the five, uh, like I think there was seven draft and stash players. Nikola Jokic was the only player that actually came over. The rest of them not, uh, did not come over uh, at all, which is uh, you know it, it's interesting because as a tactic of like asset management and stuff like that, it was like uh, you'll see Houston if you go through the the trade uh, here, uh, trades here, you'll see Houston spent a lot of money buying these uh, second round draft picks to then stash them uh, for later, and they didn't really accumulate too much of anything at all. So it's something uh, you know we we always praise these uh, front offices. For uh, coming up with inge- uh, like um, ingenious ways of building their teams and such, um, and you know, you know, we see a lot of times it doesn't pan out. One of the things that's really interesting that going back is like trying to figure out who won draft pick trades. Like if I if I picked, you know, I traded you my first overall pick. You trade me your first, o- or, or I trade trade you my first pick. You trade me your first pick in two seconds in the future or something like that. Realistically, who got more? Uh, who got the better assets out of it, out of that trade? The assumption we always have like these assumptions based off of formulas, but also teams who are good at ra- uh, good at drafting, teams that are good at player development. You might see like you look at Memphis, for instance, and basically in the last five years, every trade that Memphis has made involving a draft pick, they've won. Hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> so like, like you like you th- you think about how they traded up to get Bain. Now analytics would tell you don't trade up. It's better to have more lottery asset, uh, lo- like lotto tickets, than it is to go with your gut and such. But they picked Bain, and Bain is arguably one of the better players coming out of that draft. You know they they did the same thing with Zaire Williams. They've done the same thing with. Uh, a number of their prospects that they have within uh, within their system and players that are uh, had developed into uh, top uh, top end talent on their roster and such, right? So um, it's something that uh, when you're when you're doing these uh, draft breakdowns is uh, something that I'm I'm going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into, but it's uh, it's something of interest I think. Uh, really starting to kind of question these assumptions that we have, these analytical assumptions we have when it comes to analyzing these trades in the moment. Mm. 
did you have something that you wanted to say, Duke? No, I was trying to find that uh, <laughs> that website, that draft website. It has all the trades on it. Oh, uh, which draft website? Oh, I, I I just go off of the Wikipedia pages. Yeah, so I just uh, like I, I Wikipedia that draft and I go through the uh, the trades that they highlight near the bottom. Gotcha. Um, and then from there, you have to do a little bit of a uh, little bit of digging um, to see like in this particular draft, who was this? Yeah. Uh, what did that pick end up turning out to be? And I love stuff that like stuff. That. And like a lot of times, like in like when you see like Philly or Houston or something like that, like teams that were uh, driven by more analytical teams, those picks rarely ever get picked mm -hmm. by those teams. Like it'll be packaged in another trade, that'll be packaged in a trade, uh, like, uh, like, and those picks will get packaged into another trade. So it gets a little bit more convoluted in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see because we have like these general assumptions of like what a good general manager would do, what a bad general, or what a good front office would do, what a bad front office would do when it comes to relo uh, resource allocation and resource uh, um, or asset uh, accumulation. Um, but if you're if you don't know what you're doing, then it doesn't really matter what, how many assets you have. Yeah. And this is another thing as well when you when you look at the draft um, and how it occurred, Philadelphia had like eight picks. And yeah, Philadelphia ended up getting Embiid with nothing else, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, you know, you know Sam Hinkie's praise for winning all of these trades. He got all these draft picks, got all these draft picks, got all these draft picks. But if you're just drafting people who don't make your roster, then what's the point? Yeah, I was just looking at their picks from that, from that year. KJ, <laughs> KJ McDaniels, Alfred Payton. Oh man! Yeah, Alfred Payton. I think ended up getting packaged for some more picks Orlando. to uh, and to Orlando. Yeah. So they didn't actually pick that one. Yeah. Um, Alfred Payton yeah, no, still in the league. It's recent as a year ago. Yeah, I, I mean, he's anymore. He, Alfred Payton was. I mean, he's a top ten pick. He was a top ten pick. He should have been in the league for at least eight years. Like, I yeah. mean, that's that's, that's not like an accomplishment. <laughs> like realistically, um, and like he, you know, he never really uh, panned out the way anybody wanted. He never developed another Orlando failed story but um, but you know like when when you're talking about like like these like when you talk about these picks and who played on the uh, who played on Philadelphia's roster like and you look at the like when you look at the end result of the process it turned out to be two players really that that they actually ended up building uh, building their program around and then one of them they chased off uh, chased off campus mm. so I mean what's the point right like all this rebuilding only matters if you have the um, have the dedication to scouting you have the dedication to player development it's not gonna and this is why you see teams that are rebuilding forever you know it's nice to see Orlando coming out of it but like when was the last time Orlando was relevant realistically it's nice to see that the Kings were relevant, but when was the last time the Kings were relevant, uh, uh, like uh, like relevant recently? You know, so About twenty um, years ago. And these are people who are drafting at the top of these drafts all the time. Oh, right? I said they were relevant about twenty years 20 ago. Twenty years ago. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, I, so um, so like we can you can put all of the eggs in the rebuilding basket and the tanking basket. What does that do for you though? If you're not if you don't have the the proper structure built around it 
Um, so yeah, that was uh, my breakdown of that draft overall. Uh, you know, they ha there's some good talent out of it, but I think overall, I think if you're looking back on it, the entire draft class was pretty much a bust. SGA just hit a game winner over Portland. Did he wave goodbye? Uh, yeah. Got him. <laughs> Got a bitch. <laughs> Uh, let me check my notes here. Yes, yes, he did wave. Oh, yeah. Yes, actually, it says he waved goodbye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was also dogpiled and looked directly yes, into the camera the entire time. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember when? Um, and I think it was not even fun to watch. No, it, well, yeah, I mean, they're fun to watch in the sense that it, it's like watching the Three Stooges, and you're just seeing them, like, <laughs> like smacking themselves in the face, you know, dribbling off their feet, you know, pissing themselves on the defensive end. Like, I mean, it's really it's really funny to watch in a slapstick comedy form of a way. You just kind of, like, have to put in the background the Benny Hill music, and then everything all of a sudden becomes particularly entertaining. It's, it's all a, about perspective, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know... They're like, like watching them turn over the ball is similar to like watching clowns come out of a cloud car where you're just like, how could, how could there be more? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. How did they get so many in that, in that small space? <laughs> you're listening to the Fool Court Press Podcast. All right, so uh, we're moving on to our next uh, favorite uh, segment, uh, Duke's Movie Review. Uh, you'll note previously on Duke's movie review, he reviewed half of Need Paranorman, half of the article on Paranorman, Sir. half of the Sir. trailer on Par Paranorman. Uh, he also did uh, two uh, attempts at reviewing a, a really contentious review that we yep. ended up cutting and we'll never we hear the light of day. Uh, he reviewed uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and then most recently he... Uh, okay, it was great in that one. He he uh, reviewed par uh, Paranormal Activity two, uh, which he said was pretty good. All pretty, right, pretty good. Uh, so so Duke. you got to team up with a little more gravitas here. This is a Duke segment. <laughs> so Duke, I guess the question everybody has for you, <laughs> just the right amount of respect. Did you finish Paranorman? I watched a movie this week. Made in let me open this. Part. Made in nineteen fifty four, little uh, little musical number <laughs> named White Little Diddy Christmas. And let me tell you, that Christmas was white. <laughs> I'm looking at Discord. Week nine, NBL Baldy, twelve seventeen. Sounds racist. Yep. Yep. It was. Uh, not a, he's, not a big, a, he, he's a big fan not of a, the White's Christmas race in sight. Um, good music though. Uh, and, and dancing. dancing. <laughs> sweet, yeah, yeah. sweet good music. music um, it was all right. All right. Yeah. Good dancing. Right. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Good. Leave the leave the race. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, 
All right. Well, thank you for that, uh, Duke. Uh, illuminating as always. I, I this is the reason why everybody loves it so much. It's all. Uh, and uh, we're moving on to uh, Baldy. Baldy, your soccer second. Anything important happen in the world of soccer, Baldy? Uh, hey, some team won some shit. That was a good segment, <laughs> Baldy. <laughs> uh, so Argentina won. World Cup is over. I think it's great. Messi. I mean, there's so many soccer pods out there that they've all discussed this. Time all those again. soccer pods, but none of them are as messy as this one. Ed. Messi's greater than Ronaldo for all time. Yep, Ronaldo sucks. Uh, <laughs> n- but now that like the World Cup is over, uh, I find it really hard to get myself to care about club soccer coming back in like a week. Uh, Chelsea's gonna take on Bournemouth next Tuesday, and I honestly couldn't give a shit wow. about Bournemouth. What <laughs> you do? Oh, <laughs> like, it's just like the stakes just don't matter anymore. Oh. Like, uh, so we were gonna fight for fifth or fourth. Like, uh, okay, Man. like we just watched like the pinnacle of sport over the weekend. That's like, great, okay. but I'm amped. So I'm amped for Premier League to come back. I'm ready. What about you guys? A little Boxing Day treat. I know. That's what I'm, I'm kind of pissed. Chelsea's not playing. They're playing on Boxing Day plus one, I don't, which uh, doesn't really matter. I don't know what you're talking about, the pinnacle of sport. The pinnacle of sport doesn't happen until you see a tiny little baby Mr. Peanut dancing on screen during a commercial break of an American football game. That's the pinnacle of sport. Super Bowl Sunday. Should be Super Bowl Saturday. Which so, should be on Saturday. Should be Saturday, but it's not. That's beside the point. That that little baby peanut dancing, that's the pinnacle of sport. So uh, I'm going to ignore what Sandy said. Um, just what else? <laughs> As it should be. <laughs> I just want to circle back. So I've been hearing about how like this uh, this World Cup final is like, the greatest thing that could have ever happened to soccer, and soccer's finally going to catch on in the United States now because it's like such an entertaining uh, spectacle. And you're now arguing that it's actually done the opposite, and it's actually killed your passion for soccer moving forward. And Pete, like, <laughs> you love to hear it. I was, I like, I got up for soccer, like, it was soccer 24-7 for the last, like, 20 days, three, whatever it was, that, like, I would wake up in the morning, soccer's on, and it was fantastic. And now, just like, like sweet. Now I get to go back to all the drama of, uh, you know, the manager's not starting this player, not doing this, and this guy said this, and now it's like, oh yeah, let's man, go. Like, yeah, and that, like every time I log on Twitter now, it's just gonna, you know, be, oh, it's Mount versus Pulisic. Like, who's better? Like, I don't care. Like, whatever. You know what? <laughs> Americans will never care about soccer until America wins at soccer. Argentina and France, what do either of those have to do with America? Neither of them are out there with McDonald's logo on their shirt or like a Burger King or like a PayPal. They're not branded. Like, Well said. Where's our commercial? Um, so don't even know where to go with this. Where's our advertisements? <laughs> where, where, where are my football? You know what? You're 100 percent correct. Soccer needs more commercial breaks. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. 
This is how we're going to attract the, uh, the England audience. What the hell is exercise? English on, uh, the English audience is already watching. We need, to, we need to slow this game down so Americans can follow it and understand what it. The, so, what the... <laughs> when, when someone crosses and, and they have the offside bullshit, where's my coach pulling out a red sock or a flag out of his sock? Like, Where's my challenge flag? Where's my replay review? Where's my VAR. A flag out of his sock. Where my foot flag out of his sock? Pull the flag out your sock. It's a challenge flag. Um. So, uh, I mean, they don't really. Uh, you can't really challenge it because it's like so molecular. No, no. That's why we have <laughs> replay. That's why we have. Ca- yeah. No. There was like the fabric of somebody's shorts kept someone on side on Sunday. Where my football? Yeah. See. There you go. So uh, there's nothing really to dispute there. There's no no reason to pull the flag out. And then they call fouls on basically anybody who gets breathed on hard. So there's not really much to review or or do anything with with regards to it. So they don't have challenge flags for coaches. Coaches' jobs are to yell really loudly and then basically throw hissy fits in the locker room afterwards. They 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 call quarterback sissies. But if you dare tackle somebody on a soccer field, not a pitch, a field... Uh, it's a red card and an ejection. You don't, you don't see Dominican Sue getting ejected after he punches some poor lineman in the junk. Like he gets I think a you raise. do actually. I think you do. You no, know, no, he gets a raise only when he stomps on uh, a stomps yeah. on quarterback. He steps on their leg. Why I'm engaging in this. <laughs> Sorry, you did this to yourself. <laughs> so. So, Baldy, after all of that, and you saw the final and everything that happened over in Qatar, was it worth it? I, that's, uh, that's such a question. I, all that like, how many lies. human lives? Morally, <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly how many lives would you think it was worth it? But Messi won! <laughs> I just want you to picture, Baldy. I mean, you know, just just, Baldy, yeah, no, it's, Baldy, it's not great. Baldy. I just want you to picture Messi standing triumphant on top of tens of thousands of bodies. And he'll do that next year in Inter Miami in no, the MLS. No, we won't. No, because he has never. He's won all these trophies, but hasn't won the supporter shield. Who the fuck is the supporter exactly. shield? Exactly. <laughs> The CONCACAF. What the uh, fuck what is, is a CONCACAF? CONCACAF Champions League. Oh. Read a book, man. A book on American yeah. soccer. <laughs> if God wanted me to read a book, he wouldn't have made TV so entertaining. Okay? It's, it's true. Yeah. It was God's fault. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think we're all happy that uh, uh, happy that it's over. Um, so, I am uh, happy. yeah, so, <laughs> I'm happy that this is over too, <laughs> and that uh, we can go back to listening to people uh, complain about whether Mason Mountain's better than uh, better than Pulisic. Um, So uh, thank you everybody for uh, joining us today on uh, the Full Court Press podcast. Uh, my name's Ka- uh, Lufa. You, uh, sometimes I forget my name, but it's, it's a I forgot how to count earlier. Did you hear that? Uh, okay, you forget. <laughs> That's nothing. Joined, joined today by joined today by uh, Duke 
Baldy and Sora. Sandy Dora. Sandy Dora. Dora the Explorer. Sandora. Sandora. Oh. Some swiping shit or are something. You gonna sing, are you going to sing? Are you going to sing about uh, uh, your map? I'm going to sing about Draymond Green's backpack. Can you sing us a little ditty about your map? Backpack. Backpack. <laughs> Oh, it is Dora. All right, anyways. <laughs> Draymond's got a backpack. Come on, you can, reach the, sh- <laughs> you can reach the show uh, at 724-FU-FOOLS. That's 724-383-6657. Or on Twitter at FCourtPress. Uh, you can send your so- uh, topic suggestions on Twitter at hashtag FCP Rundown. Uh, thank you so much for join uh, joining us today, and uh, everyone say goodbye. Goodbye. Hey, if you're gonna leave a voicemail, actually say something. There's a bunch of a bunch of voicemails that there's nothing on them. They're blank. So Maybe say that's something. Intentional. That's intentional. Bye, Sandy. That's me just drunk dialing at 3 a.m. <laughs> if you leave a voicemail, I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart. Go if you leave a voicemail, say hi to Sandy. Oh fuck you. <laughs> or breathe very heavily. We'll play it on the uh, on the pod. This cat losing his mind again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Peace. See ya. It's a really good start. I to think. This yeah, well, I, just, I mean, I was <laughs> with say, conviction. You know, you know, He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah I know the case yeah, for right. Jokic's <laughs> MVP." <laughs> I don't know. I think who is Jokic? I don't even know who he so, is. Where did never heard of him? When you're what team is he on? When you're teeing up Duke, you need to do it with a little more gravitas than you did as well. Yeah, let's start did, over. Uh, here's Duke. Tell us about Jokic. Why he's the MVP? Like we need, we need some pizzazz. This is Duke. <laughs> Talking to you about Jokic. She's got a point. <laughs> you want to take it from the top? I gotta be honest with you. That impression of me was just terrible. It I wasn't an impression of like you. That. that was me doing like an impression of me. No, that was me doing something better than what you did. <laughs> no, I mean the the part before. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you like you made me sound like open. I didn't or stutter like enough. Exactly. A lot of shit All talk right. coming from a guy who doesn't host the goddamn pod. You take it from <laughs> 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 uh, it's about this Jokic guy. Yeah. The Joker. Yeah. The Joker.